0: there welcome to a brand new Ars blog Arscast right here on arsblog.com welcome back i think we should say after a week without an arscast and two weeks without any arsenal football that is um, yeah it's good to be back it seems like it's been a really long long dull interval right i know some of them can go by very very slowly but this this one just seems to have dragged on and dragged on and that's probably because Things are going well. There isn't much to talk about. If you lose a couple of games going into an interlal, you've got that discussion going on, rolling, 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 about how this, you know, everything. You know how it goes. There's more to talk about. But when you're top of the league and everything's going hunky-dory and everyone's relatively happy, relatively, some people, most people, I think, um, well, then, you know, okay, there's not much to talk about. Everything's great. Yep. Feeling good? Uh-huh. So, uh, yep, and that's kind of the way it is. And I think we saw what kind of an interlal this one was. When we, you know, Jack Wilshire, Jack Wilshire urinating was a story. A footballer having a wee was a story. Of course, it came after the Jack Wilshire smoking thing and the Jack Wilshire uh, talking about English players playing for England thing, which was blown out of all proportion. Players of a certain nationality playing for the country of which they are national—where where they get their nationality? What's the big deal? There is no big deal, and that's what this interlude was all about. Just there was nothing else going on, so small things became big things, uh, and then right at the end of it, even though things are going well for England on on the pitch and they qualify for the World Cup, we've got space monkeys, space monkeys. I mean, the whole concept of a space monkey is really quite cool and hilarious. I would prefer a space panther, myself. I think that would be a pretty awesome thing. One minute you're going along, and then from space, comes down a space panther and, you know, chomps your head off or, or brings you back to its space lair. And you'd never see a space panther, particularly at night, because they're dark, and space is dark, and then... At nighttime it would be also dark, so they could just, like, throom, straight through the darkness. Unless, of course, I had to wear some kind of helmet breathing apparatus. But if you were to have a space panther, I suggest to you that it could probably operate on Earth and in space without the need for any kind of oxygen or, or, or special equipment. Because, um, well, they'd be a special creature anyway, wouldn't they? A panther from space. Would they be from space or would they be Panthers from Earth that evolved into space? I don't know. Would they be necessarily from space? Could they play for space in the World Cup? What about a Panther that's only been in space for five years and all of a sudden gets a space passport? Well, what do you do with that Panther? I don't have the answers to all these questions. Maybe Jack Wilshire would know about what happens with a Panther... That only gets to space as an adult, and yeah. You see, it was all a bit silly, really, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, football is back, and there's lots to uh, discuss. Uh, even though there hasn't been much going on, uh, the Arsenal AGM took place yesterday. We'll uh, have some chatter about that, and we'll be chatting about uh, the state of play in general, all the fixtures we've got to come, and and uh, the other bits and pieces with Philippe O'Clair. That's. Uh, that's coming soon. We'll give you the winner of the competition from a couple of weeks ago. We uh, gave you a chance to win uh, a mess at Ozil Print from our friends at 3 Nil. So we'll give you the winner uh, of that. And um, well, I guess there'll be the usual bits and pieces that come up uh, during the Cast. So first, the Arsenal AGM took place yesterday uh, at the stadium. Uh, Stan Kroenke was there. The new chairman, Sir Chips, was there. Ivan Gazidis, Arsene Wenger, uh, the whole kit and caboodle. And with me to discuss it all from the BBC, it's David Ornstein. Hi.
1: The cat Hi, Andrew. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you very much. Um, the annual general meeting took place. Uh, I think it was perhaps reflective of the current mood around the club that uh, everybody was relatively happy, and it seemed to be a far less contentious affair than we've seen in previous seasons.
1: Absolutely. It seems maybe the, the green shoots of recovery, the good times coming back to Arsenal, call it what you like, but um, there was definitely a better atmosphere here than last year. And, I mean, people forget the a couple of years ago, and maybe even three years ago, there were were sort of some dissenting voices, some real disgruntled shareholders there. Um uh, and obviously, last year very well documented. It, it was pretty raucous, actually, and poisonous at times. Uh, this year, it wasn't at all. Part of that was because Arsenal managed it in a slightly stricter way. Um, but the other part of that is that Arsenal are sitting top of the league. Um, you know, champ, doing well in the Champions League. Um, signing of Mesut Özil has lifted the place, um, and there is optimism. And the sun, as I look outside the cafe that I'm in, uh, just by the emirates now is shining and i think that um, there was a sunny disposition on pretty much everyone's uh, faces at, at the emirates today
0: mm, there was some uh, some fairly humorous bits and pieces uh, i think uh, maybe in years past they haven't always been intentional but the, you know some nice quips <laughs> from ivan gazidis and uh, and sir chips and uh, and a few of the others but uh, stan kronke was there um it's clear he's not necessarily the most comfortable in these kind of situations where he's got uh, he's got to uh, involve himself in in public speaking uh, how was he today i think it must have been an easier job for him certainly than last year again
1: it definitely was i mean last year it, it got uh, a little bit nasty and and with questions coming from the floor he was he was on a couple of occasions sort of um uh, interrupting conversations to defend himself um And this year he he was more relaxed. As you say, he looks more comfortable. It's his sixth AGM. Um, And as he kind of joked, I I was almost unanimously re-elected. So there were a few hands uh, going against him there. He talked about being pleased with Arsenal's progress on and off the pitch, the debt's down, the revenue's up. Um, But nothing works without success on the pitch, he said, and uh, nobody's happy until we win championships and trophies. It was quite a brief speech. He seemed very relaxed. I mean, when I saw him at the Emirates, during the Emirates Cup, actually, Um, Pre-season, he walked straight past a few journalists without barely looking at us um, flanked by security guards uh, dark glasses seemed very tense but again you talked about the mood earlier it seems to have been infectious with him he gave a nice interview to uh, a couple of the newspapers recently and he seemed pretty relaxed I mean going back to the atmosphere and you mentioned a a couple of jokes thrown into the mix and a couple of light moments you know we had um Sir Chips, who you know could be forgiven for being a bit nervous, chairing it on, on for the first time um, in the absence of Peter Hillwood, and, and he sort of forgot the name of of the Arsenal women's opponents in the Champions League. So he was sort of saying, uh, you know, they recently went all the way to Kazakh, Kazakh something. Um, and that brought a few laughs. And then we had Gazidis uh, towards the end when a question was asked on Tottenham cooperating in promoting NBC's coverage of the Premier League in the States. Well, Gazidis replied, it's true, there is a Gareth Bale poster plastered all over Times Square. Unfortunately, he doesn't play for Tottenham Hotspur. He now plays for one of our rivals. And uh, that brought the biggest cheer of the lot uh, and and resounding applause. So uh, I think a pretty a pretty comfortable day for everyone on the panel and especially Cronky.
0: Uh, it strikes me we didn't learn anything particularly new. There were questions put to Cronky about uh, the fan share scheme, for example, about dividends, and and we have the same answer that we've had pretty much every time he's been asked that question. He never takes dividends from his uh, from his investments, and you know that, that's the way it's going to continue. There was one interesting piece about a, a day Data analytics company that, that Arsenal have purchased. Do we know a great deal about that now and what it might do?
1: That was very interesting, actually. That was right at the top of the, um, of the AGM. And it took people by surprise a little bit. Um, so basically, here's the story. Arsenal uh, have spent over 2 million, I think, acquiring an American company to enhance their sort of football analytics, data, performance analysis, call it what you like. Um, we know more here as the sort of pro-zoney stuff. And, and there are various um, technological packages that all of the, the British and European world clubs are using now to scout players, to monitor performance, um, to track distances covered, every every little minutiae uh, that you could possibly think of. And it, and it stems really from baseball in the States and, and their approach with Moneyball um, data analytics, uh, and yeah, Gazidis talked about this quite comfortably. Um, He he stressed that this company was independent and had no links whatsoever to Stan Kroenke or any of his um, companies, Um, but uh, there was a real feeling that, that the fact that they were so comfortable to talk about it suggests a bit of um a bit of optimism a bit of buoyancy here that they seem to feel they've taken a step ahead of their rivals when it comes to this sort of thing um you know a lot of the premier league clubs use similar packages um similar uh, software and the fact that arsenal have actually acquired this company not just investing in it um shows that they've They've got exclusive use. They probably didn't want their rivals uh, to get hold of it. And perhaps, this is unconfirmed, I haven't been told anything on this, perhaps they think it's going to give them a competitive advantage. Um, and wouldn't it be just like Wenger to, to after, you know, after all these... Uh, recent years of criticism to reinvent himself as as the cutting-edge manager that he was in his early years as Arsenal manager.
0: Mm, it's very interesting. We'll have to see what more comes of that. You mentioned Arsene Wenger and my final question is about him. Um, and we've spoken about the previous AGMs being, being difficult and, and that's because things have been difficult on the pitch. Arsene Wenger has always been uh, fantastic in, in front of the crowds in being able to explain uh, his vision and being able to sort of, in, in a way, calm things down, uh, despite the fact things haven't been going very well. Today, uh, you know, we're top of the league. Mesut Ozil has come in. Uh, you know, everything in the garden is looking quite rosy. Today must have been a lot brighter for him also.
1: It was, and I mean, this is the orator extraordinaire we're talking about, and he's been comfortable even in the most testing of, of circumstances. And this year, again, he, he did say, he, he under, you know, there were times that the Emirates crowd had been behind the team, and he said, I've got no complaints with that. And There, there are times when uh, we're to blame for that. The team has to uh, give the fans something to cheer about, not the other way around. Um, but he was very comfortable from the outset tapping his microphone, getting a little uh, little chuckle from the shareholders. And he went straight on to talking about Arsenal's priorities, which is to develop from within rather than spending big. And this is the sort of thing you'll see in the newspapers. Um, Arsenal have the financial muscle to spend big. We saw that with Ozil, and they will be able to do that again, um, especially with the new Emirates sponsorship deal and the new Premier League and overseas TV deals. Um, But the overwhelming priority is to develop homegrown talent more than ever. He referred to Carl Jenkinson. And, you know, he's not just saying that we've entirely developed even just Partially developed. They have the Jenkinsons, Nabrys, uh, Aaron Ramsey, Jack Wilshere, Wojciech Fitzgerald, Um So he, he he was stressing this. Development and, and the reason behind that was because he was pointing to um, the growth uh, of other European clubs, your Paris Saint Germain, your Monaco's, uh, even domestically with Chelsea and Manchester City. And the amount of money coming into the game, he said, uh, especially from Asia, he said that's only going to increase and going to give us an even bigger challenge financially, which stresses the importance of us developing homegrown talent. So he He uh, explained three priorities, and he said all of these were essential for success. The first of which is that Arsenal must defend their style, philosophy, and values, and that relates to developing their own talent, because if you bring through uh, the likes of Ramsey from a young age, they're going to grow up and, and be able to pass on those values to the younger Arsenal players. He then mentioned intelligence of our eye, and what he's saying there is we need to keep turning unknown players into stars. He referenced uh, Olivier Giroud and he made mention of Laurent Koscielny, especially Koscielny, not known to anyone in this country, particularly when he arrived at Arsenal, now one of Europe's leading centre-halves. And the third point was to scout and buy world-class players. Uh, And so Arsenal are ready to do that. Uh, and, and we've seen that and we will continue to see that when they find the right players. And he feels they have a huge advantage in their reputation. A little cheap shot perhaps at the likes of Manchester City and, and other big spenders around Europe where uh, Arsene says we are not artificial. He thinks that Arsenal are really starting to trade both uh, in this country, in, in Britain, Europe and in the Asian markets and African markets on their reputation, their style, their history, their self-sustaining model. Um, And he concluded by um, expressing his optimism for the Premier League. He said, winning the Premier League is our priority for this season. And he went on to say, we're confident now, and we're confident that at the end of May, we'll be happy. The big question, Mark, though, was, and you said this earlier, the news really from this AGM was, there was no news, no real news of note and and top of everyone's well at least from a journalist's perspective top of everyone's uh, uh, billing was was um was contract situation, Arsene Wenger's uh, out of contract next summer. Uh, Everyone wants to know what's happening and there was no question from shareholders either pre-submitted or from the floor later on about Wenger's contractual situation and I think that's going to be a a real big story in the coming months um, because at one point he did, when he he, uh, paid tribute to uh, Peter Hillwood as he took the microphone and said how nice and, and pleasant it was to work with him, he also welcomed uh, Said chips onto the board, uh, but he, uh, he, as chairman, but he did say, um, "I look forward to working with you in the coming months. Um, why mm. not years? Some would say."
0: Mm, there is an interesting one. One well, look, it gives us something to something to think about. <laughs> David, we better leave it there. But thank you very much indeed.
2: Absolute pleasure.
0: Thank you very much, David Ornstein of the BBC. If you're not already following him on Twitter, you can get him at BBC Sport underscore David. That's BBC Sport underscore David. Lots of good Arsenal info on there for you. Now, before we chat to Philippe O'Claire, time for a bit of this. And there are traffic delays around the Savoy Hotel in London, where a member of the Arsenal Independent Supporters Trust organisation is standing outside... Holding a boombox above his head playing Peter Gabriel imploring a Denver billionaire to come down and have a cup of tea. We'll have more traffic in an hour. Thank you very much indeed, sexy Australian traffic girl. Thank you for all your texts and calls on our last item. Mick from Liverpool says it's clear after listening to that that Daniel Sturridge is indeed the greatest player in the world right now. Totally agree with you, Mick. He's flying the flag for Liverpool and for England. Speaking of which, what are we going to do? about Jack Wilshire. Clearly, he's a boy of exceptional talent. He's got a left foot like a wizard's truncheon. But is he fully committed to the cause? Is there just too much baggage with him? First, we had the smoking. Then, we had the urinating in public, like a lager lout. Then, there were those comments about English players playing for England, which I like to point out I agree with 100%. But does Wilshire even agree with himself? I think he might be just playing to the crowd. I'll tell you why, because I went to England training and I made a point of watching Wilshire when they came in for breakfast afterwards. In the canteen, I was worried. Is he going to go continental? Will he get a croissant? Coffee? Sliced meat? At first, my fears were put to one side when he went up and got bacon and sausage. Yes, Jack, I said. That is part of the full English. Then, beans, beans. Yes, mushrooms, I can take or leave them, but they're there on the plate. Fried tomato, eggs, toast, get in. I'm thinking Wilshire is the man to lead us forever and ever until he dies, or indeed retires. But then came the crowning glory of his breakfast. He got... chips. Well, I thought they were chips. It was only when I looked at the menu that I realised they were called French fries. French fries. They're not English, they're not part of an English breakfast, shouldn't be eaten by an Englishman. Has there ever been a greater and more heartbreaking treachery perpetrated on this land or on this national football team? When the chips are down, pardon the pun, in the World Cup, do you want a guy who insists on Marist Pipers or somebody who'll eat French fries? I think I know what I'd prefer, it's got to be the end for Jack Wilshire, French fries. All this talk about Englishmen playing for England, and you're reading those? Annoying Scottish pundit, it really is a travesty, what? Well, I might be an annoying old cunt, but fuck me, you need help. Oh, that's how it is. Well, let me tell you this, mate. I personally cannot wait for Scotland to become independent from the great British Isles of the United Kingdom, because I will declare war on you, son. War. This is Talk shite Radio talking shite about sport 24 hours a day when we return Harry Redknapp's in studio reading from his brand new book, Roy Hodgson, You Absolute Bastard. Talk shite Radio, talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. We'll have more from Talkshite Radio in the future. Still to come, the winner of the Ozel competition. Also, we'll be looking ahead to the Norwich and Dortmund games, some of the team news ahead of this weekend. But right now, for the first time this season, I'm delighted to welcome back to the Arscast to discuss all the goings-on, where we are, what's been happening and how it's been happening, Philippe O'Claire, Hi there. Hello. Let's start with uh, the very beginning of this season and Arsenal lost uh, to Aston Villa on the opening day. The reaction to that... Result was quite visceral uh, in terms of in terms of uh, the fans and and how it was perceived uh, in the media. Did it mean Arsenal were in crisis? The reaction from the team has been little short of outstanding. Uh, Eleven games unbeaten, ten wins uh, and a draw. We're we're counting the Capital One Cup game as a win simply because we we went through to the next round. Were you <laughs> expecting a run of form or or a reaction like that? Um, because it did feel precarious after the Villa game.
2: It felt very precarious after the Villa game. In fact, uh, after the Villa game and if you accept the first twenty minutes where so you thought, well, actually the the team is in control of things and with the early goal and then seemingly, you know, uh, going through through the gears with uh, with great ease and and then suddenly I mean I have to say a number of events conspired to to make this happen, but it was the manner in which the, the teams seemed to fall apart. I mean, it seemed to be like the crowning of uh, of months and perhaps even years of of frustration, and it was the moment when people just, I suppose, burst out as well all this pent-up frustration. Uh, spoke out and I, 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 I plead guilty up to a point because I, I I was quite distressed after the game I must say. I thought, oh no, I mean all the old effects are there, the, the fragility is back and and we we can't really see how we get, we're going to get to get out of that. And um, perhaps uh, uh, underrating as well, you know, the Destin Villa team um, as well, but all the same it felt like the the, the, the absolute media of, um, of, of well, for a number, number of years. And just thinking about it, the chefs I feel depressed again. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's true that what happened afterwards is not something that you could have deduced from the performance of the Emirates in the opening day of the season. And um, the spectacular way in which it has happened is, is the one thing which is the most striking. It's not just a question of the points which have been gained, but the fact um, uh, that it seems that some of the defensive resilience that we saw um, at the end towards the end of last season which enabled that run and to qualify for uh, for the champions League uh, is still there um, actually feels even a bit more secure uh, but also it seems that the team has recovered a lot of its verve, and which was one of the, I think one of the most frustrating things about last season is that not only was the club not competing in terms of trying to go for the title or being where we would uh, hope it to be uh, in the cup competitions but also the manner in which it was playing was disjointed you struggled to remember uh, games in which you had sequences of play that made you think of, you know, the Arsenal way or the Wenger way. Sure. And, um, you know, typical, you know, the thing—the game at Newcastle, which is basically Laurent Garcia's, Garcia's game, where he was superb in defence and, and scored the decisive goal. And you thought, this is not the Arsenal, you know, that we have been used to. And at least we might not be competing for trophies, but at least we're putting on a jolly good show. And and it was not on, and that show was not there. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I can't think of a single performance last year where I think, yeah, really, really, that was was terrific. I mean, at least we saw some great football. Uh, Whereas this year, uh, we've already seen quite a lot of great football, Um, some absolutely beautiful combinational play. Uh, The pace of the game uh, seems to have upped. Um, and um, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's conjunction. I'm sure we're going to talk about that. But of so many, so many um, parameters that have made this possible, and then suddenly. Wenger looks uh, as if he was right all along, which of course you know we shouldn't be carried away one way uh, or an, another, but uh, certainly the team has has found itself again in, mm. in terms of, of, of its, the, the way it is playing
0: you, but people might put that down to the arrival of, of messed Ozel and clearly he's had an impact yeah. uh, on the pitch off Especially the pitch off, as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the the, the, the whole atmosphere uh, has changed in terms of what he's brought to everything, but, you know, Arsenal were playing well before he arrived, too. Um, Indeed. You know, so, uh, I
2: mean, you, you could tell me in terms of of, of, of the players, I mean, um, I, I think that, well, the defensive solidity is is, is one thing. Um, one player whom I think has been outstanding since the beginning of the season is Per Um I've always defended him and it seems people have a blind spot They just don't realize how crucial he is to to, uh, the defensive solidity of that Arsenal back line and and how he seems to attract every single dangerous ball, which is floated in the area, amongst other things, and how calm and secure uh in the way that he recycles the ball and and just seems always seems to choose the the, the good path out of defense. Uh but that's one thing that obviously the the form of Aaron Ramsey has been a crucial factor, that of Santi Cazorla as well. And 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 the fact that Ali is showing uh, now to to everybody that yes, he is He's perhaps not the world's greatest striker. It would be absurd to say such a thing. But he's an international-class striker. And, and you're starting to see what you're seeing now. Um, the player whom I thought Arsenal had signed, and who, by the way, didn't have a, a particularly bad first season, and is now really showing um, especially how precious is in, in his link up play. And, and they're also finding, you know, you, you start to see partnerships developing which is very important all over the pitch in terms of the understanding so intuitive understanding between players and, and and Giroud last year I think was very much um underused by teammates there wasn't they were not playing to his strengths it's not just that he's um, a big guy who is able to hold the ball with his back to goal, um, who is you know, good at heading the ball, and has got a, a fierce left foot shot, but he's also somebody who loves to play what we call in first intention in French, somebody who loves to flick the ball around the corner, is always looking for a quick solution. Uh, when the tempo of, of of the game of the play has to be uh, accelerated, and and it takes some risks sometimes in the way he passing the ball, but he's always looking to to create something and is has uh, got. In his armory, I mean, something more than uh, the skills of a pure finisher. is also a creator in the box, and it's something that Arsenal have been lacking for a while.
0: But is he responding to what happened during the summer? Because uh, there was a very high-profile pursuit of Luis Suarez. Before that, it was clear that Arsenal were after Gonzalo Higuain. And and, and Giroud's attitude throughout that was, I, I guess, exemplary, because he said, I want... Another striker to come. It'd be great for the team if we had Luis Suarez as a footballer, uh, regardless of yeah. anything else. It'd be great if we had Higuain. You know, he was he was open to competition for places, but given that the the money went elsewhere on Ozil, um, yeah. he, he's then responded. He's given Arsenal something to think about because I reckon most people would like Arsenal to sign a striker in January, uh, certainly to give him some backup. But there Indeed. isn't now. Perhaps the need for the big, big striker, the big name, the big money. well what you want somebody is to provide reliable backup to Giroud. He's really uh, taken his chance.
2: Indeed. And, um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think you would be surprised, you know, if, Van um, if Vancouver went for, for a striker um, uh, in, in January. Um uh, and it's obvious that at the moment, you know, you're, you're looking and you're thinking, well, we're all hoping that Giroud goes through the international break, you know, safe and sound. He did, by the way. Uh, and, uh, were he not there, it, it's not just the goals that would be missed, but it's also the fact that he provides such a, such an effective focal point in the way that the play is built up. And not, you know, and he's also obviously feeling totally at ease within the the system that uh, that Wenger has put in place. And um, I don't really believe, and I don't don't know if you do, but that the World Walcott could be a possible, uh, no. um, you know, I mean, a centre forward. And um, anyway, they even if he had the qualities to to succeed there, and he has them, it would take him quite a while to to, to bed in. So sure. it, it's a. Uh, I wouldn't say it's. Um, it's I, I would take the opposite argument. It's a great thing to be over reliant on a player. It means that player is doing very, very well indeed. You know, maybe that's one way to look at it, which is a little bit more optimistic to see the glass as uh, half, <laughs> uh, half full rather than half empty. It's, it's one sector in which uh, um, you know there should be um, um, strengthening. And of course, you know, there's the, the, the one player we haven't mentioned, but who has been absolutely essential is Matia uh The return, as if he had never left anyway. Um, has been spectacularly effective, and uh, actually creates a, quite a few problems in terms of uh, well, if, if there are problems for for Wenger in terms of the team that he would consider to be starting eleven, and and we know that Wenger, once he has identified, um, let you know a group of eleven players whom he thinks are, are working tends to stick by them. He's not somebody who rotates an awful awful lot, um, and you know you would think that Flamini is probably now are one of the first names that comes to his mind when he's thinking of that first 11. Mm.
0: It's a good problem for the manager to have, obviously. It's, it's lovely, would, I mean, it's mm.
2: lovely, but it, it, it means that a few players won't have as much playing time as perhaps you would have expected before. But again, that might be a very good thing, because that might go some way towards solving one of the uh, perennial problems of Arsenal, which is this repetition of muscular injuries, which which has blighted um the previous seasons and which often was due to the fact that players were not allowed the degree of recuperation perhaps uh, that would have been ideal and that therefore they, they accumulated games when they were perhaps too tired and have been left to rest and so forth now certainly in terms of the midfield uh, you've got a plethora of players and in terms of the depth of the midfield if you look around in the premier league what well, i don't think there is any club that can reasonably say um they have more options certainly in an attacking sense uh, mm. in that midfield um i mean perhaps you know you would think uh, perhaps manchester city um but that would be about it really yeah. and i can't i can't think of another team that has got such depth
0: no it's it's quite outstanding and, and when we think now that santi cazorla is about to come back from yes. from injury uh, um the idea of, of cazorla and those playing together is obviously uh Mind-bogglingly attractive. It's it's interesting. Um, how do you see the two of them fitting into the team together? Because they 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 play similar roles. They're similar-ish kind of players. Um, but but they both possess such quality that the temptation to use them together uh, has got to be just incredible for for Arsene Yeah, there. I mean, how do you they, see him? He might have to rejig the team a little bit to fit them both in at times.
2: Well, you would imagine that Santikasola would fit on the left um, of 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 midfield of, of you know yeah. uh, of the attacking uh, three, uh, just behind you. That's what you would think, and they're... Uh, they, they are both in their best position in, in the middle, but so is Ozycki, by the way, who also had a terrific start to the season. Um, I don't think that Özil would be particularly effective if you were to put him on one side. And I think the temptation, not the temptation, but the, the, the solution would be to keep Özil in, uh, uh, in that central playmaking role. Um, they don't create a difference but the same way, though. I mean, Santi Cazorla is somebody who is incredibly um, ag- agile, and um, so two-footed uh, that he's able to wriggle through um, incredibly small pockets of space, and he makes the difference very often by dribbling. Um, Özil is, is more somebody who makes the difference by his movement. Not quite the same thing. He's not yeah. as astute a dribbler as as uh, as Casola is, but he perhaps has a greater vision in terms of the movement, and in terms of the type of pass that he can supply uh, in that in the, in in the in the centre of the field. They're quite different in that in that respect. So you would imagine that you've got uh, a player who is able to to jink his way past defenders, and other who is able to use his understanding of space. And, and movements to do uh, to, to achieve the same uh, uh, the, the same objective. And with Anne Ramsey uh, being there to uh, to link, to, to have the, you would imagine a kind of triangle if that's worth, if that's the, the word. Uh, with Odil, uh, Ramsey slightly behind, and Casola on the left. And that is, I must say, a, a, a quite a mouth-watering perspective. I mean, to see these three working together.
0: Has, has um, Ramsey surprised you in the way that he's come on this season? Because I think we always yeah, saw there was no. a player there, but it, it, in turn, uh, but. Very often, one of the criticisms of a, of a guy of his age is end product, there isn't any, and this season it's just, you know, bursting from the seams.
2: Yes, and um, with a uh, conversion ratio, which is just astounding. I mean, at one point, if I'm not mistaken, it was something like seven um, goals out of uh, eight shots on target or something wow. it's ridiculous at that, um, and... I think it, I, I don't think it's something you think is going to do to last through the whole season. I think it would be quite extraordinary. I'm not I'm not sure it's yet that good. Um but it obviously has to do with confidence and when when I say confidence it's not just the confidence to uh to shoot and to uh, and to think, well, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to put the, the ball in the bottom corner and that's that, and to try that volley and so forth. It's the confidence, it's the physical confidence, I think, which is the main the main difference.
0: Mm, uh, is obviously. that something Jack Wilshire can pick up on too? Because you know his yeah. Th- you know, the the injuries, you talk about physical confidence and Ramsey has had that injury to overcome and, and maybe it's taken mm. him a bit longer. Wilshire as well, somebody who's coming back from injury. I mean, he's been in the spotlight for uh, maybe failing to reach the standards that people expect of him, but he hasn't played, apart from, I think, the, the, the first half against uh, West Brom where he played badly. I don't think he's played badly this season. I just think he's, no. he's sort of finding his way... Uh, Back to sort of fitness because he hasn't played a, a consistent run of games exactly. for, for two years.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's
2: a matter of match fitness more than anything else. Um, and the, the one difference, though, is that Ramsey, you know, was obviously, as we know, a, a so called impact injury, to be polite, um, which is quite different from Will who have had niggling problems and seems mm. to have. Uh, You know, there's a couple of weaknesses there which are not due to uh, somebody uh, making a crazy tackle and breaking your leg. It has to do more with... uh, a player who has some fragility, and particularly in, in the ankles, and th- which is in some ways a little bit more of a precu- you know, preoccupation. Um, on the other hand, I-, I completely agree with you. I mean, there's no the, the, the talent is still there, the drive is still there. Uh, the thing is, where do you play it? And you know, I would <laughs> send you the question you were asking: where you put Cazola? Well, you've got uh, Ramsey and. Um, and 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 and, Cazola, and you think well, those guys are are definitely starters. You're not going to put Wilshere on the right, so which means there's you know there's not a lot of space left for him uh, alongside um, uh, alongside Flamini as a sort of withdrawn um, uh, playmaker. Uh, that's a possibility. In which case, you know, there's also uh, Teta who is uh, you know the the insurance guy, whom you know is going to to do a very solid job. So. It's perhaps, you know, um, a a little bit—I wouldn't say it's a preoccupation, but he will have to show something, um, I mean, again, to what he showed about two years ago, to uh, to become a regular again. And um, personally speaking, I I think he will. I think the the, um, the amount of, uh, I mean, the questions which are being asked at the moment, you know, will he be able to uh, to claim his place back? And obviously, people thinking, well, it's a problem for England as well as for Arsenal. Uh, I don't think that's really the case. Yeah. Um, it's actually, and that that, that is uh, something which you know makes you really look forward to the way that team is going to develop because it is it is still, you know, not not the finished article. There, there are still areas of relative weakness. Um, I still think that, you know, regardless of uh, uh, the affection and admiration that people have got for, you know, the long-serving bakari Sanya, for example, I think that right-back is a position which is, I wouldn't say problematic, um, but it's a position in which perhaps uh, Arsenal could be better equipped.
0: Would you uh, give
2: Sanya a new deal? Um, you see, I hesitate. Yeah. <laughs> He's, I hesitate. Um, I think on I the would. Strikes, you know, out of, yes, because you know what you're going to get with the Bakary Sanya, the Bakary Sanya Mark II. You're not going to see again the player that you saw three, four years ago, mm. who could certainly be thought of as one of the best, if not the best, right back in the country. Uh, you're not going to see that again. Um, what you're going to see is the new dependable uh, Bakary Sagna, who probably doesn't offer as much going forward as he used to, uh, but but is also capable of deputising quite ably, actually, in in, in central defence, if need be, as he did uh, this season already. Sure. Um, and you get somebody who is a, a proper servant of the club. So uh, on this strength, he said yes. You know, offer him a new contract, no problem. But. I think, you know, it's a position in which there is room for improvement. Uh, This said, I don't think that Arsenal is particularly uh, a loner in that case. If you look around, uh, not just in the English game, but in the European game, in the world game, there isn't exactly a surfeit of of right-backs at the moment of, of tremendous quality. There isn't. Um, I don't think we, you know, I don't think Arsenal would be able to uh, um, to go to Bayern and, and talk to Philippe Lam and say, "Hey, Pep is playing you in central midfield. Come to us, you play in a proper position." I don't think that would work somehow.
0: No, no. <laughs> but look, <laughs> I, you know, these are these. Are, I, it's, it just strikes me that these are. Uh, better problems to have than the ones we've faced in, in recent seasons when you're looking at yes, certain yes. players and wondering how on earth are you at the football club and what are you doing there? You know, they, we're, we're talking about how are we going to fit Jack Wilshire into a midfield that contains this brilliant player and that brilliant player. So, look, um, <laughs> we'll take it as a step forward, I think. <laughs> yes, you know? indeed. Let's finally just touch on something that you're doing this evening um, as part of the London Sports Writing Festival, uh, a debated Lords. Give us a bit more info on that.
2: Yes. And it's not a debate about cricket. It's uh, it's an Arsenal debate, uh, which is uh, the, the, the subject of which is uh, the men who made Arsenal. And uh, I think we're going to talk quite a bit about Mr. Wenger, But I think we're going to talk quite a lot about Herbert um, Chapman as well. Your favourite, uh, you know, my hero, <laughs> and um, also because Patrick Barker will will be part of uh, uh, of the panel. Uh, obviously, he has written this book called The Life and Times of Herbert Chapman. Uh, and also John Sperling will, will, will be there, uh, who's written hybrid the story of Arsenal in N5. So, and, and Tom Watt will be chairing the debate, and uh, it will be at Lords at uh, 5 p.m. So uh, I think there are still a few tickets available, but uh, not an awful lot.
0: All right. Well, look, uh, hopefully people can get down and see you at, at 5 p.m. in Lourdes. Um, Philippe, thank you, as always, for your time.
2: Thank you very much indeed.
0: Thank you indeed to Philippe. And if you are listening to this on the Friday and you're at a loose end this evening, Lords with Philippe and Paddy Barkley talking about the men who made Arsenal could be a fascinating place to be. Uh, There is a link on the blog uh, for more information and ticket details. So if you're listening on the Friday, uh, check it out. And you might pop along and see that. Right. Um, Quickly, before the end of the show, we've got a couple of games, obviously. Uh, This weekend in the Premier League against Norwich at home, not a bad game in fairness to get things going again after an interlull. They really are having a difficult time this season, which isn't to underestimate them or make any assumptions about three points because uh, we know well enough how difficult it is against every uh, opponent in the Premier League. Team news is, according to, uh, to Arsene Penger, Mesut Ozil should be fit which is uh, which is good news despite the fact he picked up a bit of a knee knock uh, in midweek. Bakary Sanya at 80%. Sandy Cazorla is in training but not match fit so you have to think he'll probably be on the bench and we'll get a few minutes towards the end to get him back up to speed. Uh, no sign of Walcott. He's still a couple of weeks away and uh, then we've got Podolsky, Oxide-Chamberlain, Sunogo. Uh, they're all, uh, well, long finger, you might say. Uh, Norwich, a good chance to get get three points, though, because, uh, well, we should have more than enough for them, uh, considering the way we've been playing, considering the way they've been playing. And then midweek, of course, Borussia Dortmund, which is going to be uh, a tricky game. These two games could really uh, either uh, put the group in our favour or open it all up again. Um, we've got back-to-back Champions League games with Dortmund. Um, so you do wonder, perhaps, if the manager might might rotate or rest a little bit at the weekend uh, particularly the players that have come back from international duty but we'll just have to wait and see uh, we can trust in their recovery times they can do it all again Saturday then Tuesday then next weekend we've got a lot of games a lot of football to play in the next 21 days As seven games including Chelsea Manchester United and Liverpool so it's all stretching out in front of us the sooner we get some of those players back the better uh, in the meantime we're just going to have to trust in the guys who've done so well thus far so really that's about the size of it the winner of the ozal print with thanks to our friends at three neil is damian chapman well done to you damian i'll be in touch i'll drop you an email we get the details and get that sent out to you for the rest of you um have yourselves a great weekend here's the three points catch you on next week's arscast until then take it easy cheers Bye bye